And when they were alone, Cain slew his brother Abel with a stone. Then Cain took the blood of Abel into his hands and gulped it down. The Lord said to Cain, What have you done to your brother Abel? He answered, I have drunk of his blood, so I may be my brother's keeper. And the Lord said, You have tasted your kin's blood, and no fruit of the soil will succor you. A great sorrow you have brought to your father Adam and your mother Eve. Cain became sad and said to the Lord, I am driven from the soil and shall be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. The Lord said, Not so. Hide from my face so you cannot be found, but bear this token, and by it any who find you will know that you are the firstborn to Adam, and to kill you is to suffer for it sevenfold. And Cain was marked by the Lord and went out from his presence to dwell in the land of Nod, to the east of Eden. The story of Cain and Abel from the text of the Definiciones Calestiae. The worship of Cain, the Dark Father, and Lilith, the Dark Mother, has run like a dark streak throughout vampiric history since time immemorial. Certainly those who would follow the first woman would find themselves persecuted in ages past, especially by those whose memories of Cain, their clan founder, were still fresh in mind. Indeed, there is scarce little to be found on the Bahari and their movement in the documented history of the Cainites and kindred. That, of course, does not mean that they did not exist, and while they may not have always been known as the Bahari, there are mentions of witches, Lilim, or in some of the oldest writings, Ki Sikil Lil Lake. They would operate in secret, often persecuted by those who worshipped Cain or one of the Methuselah, and their traditions have lived on through the road and subsequent path of Lilith, studies that most Bahari adhere to eventually. As for those who chose to follow the teachings of Cain, eventually there came to exist the Cainite heresy. While we will discuss the heresy more deeply in a future lecture, one can summarize their existence as a blasphemous cult operating within the Catholic Church. They adopted certain Gnostic viewpoints and preached that Cain, as a being of spirit as well as matter, was rejected by the physical demiurge. The eventual coming of Christ, they taught, was in fact the second manifestation of Cain, and that with the third one, the physical world would end. The Cainite heresy worked tirelessly to infiltrate the mortal bastions of faith in order to subvert its teachings, to corrupt its worshippers, and thereby reduce the threat of true faith. Yet many, if not most of its believers, likewise also strove to have the third incarnation of Cain be born, and for the cage created by the Yalabauth to be broken, the Cainites free to assume their roles as godlike beings. The Lazambra, who had their cause sunk deeply into the Catholic Church, eventually grew too suspect of the heresy and chose to wipe them out, or so they thought. The Bahari and the Cainite heresy, despite countless attempts to stamp them out, exist to this very night. Yet while the Bahari remain surprisingly unchanging in the core tenets of their teachings and faith, the heresies have transmuted into the Church of Cain, of which we will speak more of tonight. But let us return to the Bahari. Quite like other so-called pagan circles, the Bahari are fairly decentralized. There is no grand council or head of faith that dictates what may or may not be acceptable behavior. In a sense, this mirrors Lilith's desire to create her own garden, away from Eden. In fact, groups of Bahari often refer to themselves as gardens, or perhaps their projects, or maybe just cities. 
Once again, there is no dogmatic teachings to adhere to, and thus Lilith's teachings differ from each garden. Some core concepts remain, however, and those are pain, loss, sacrifice, and vengeance. Lilith was not simply made to suffer, she also chose to suffer. She would never beg, would not ingratiate herself with higher powers, and thus the Bahari will let no one own them. They hold a deep resentment to the teachings espousing false myths of Cain, and they will often vocally object to these lies, finding themselves constantly at odds with those worshipping the first murderer, or by their own ignorance perpetuating his ideas. Because they surround themselves in suffering and sacrifice, often of innocence or the defenseless, the Bahari will steel themselves against remorse. It is a weakness, and Lilith would never regret her decisions, even as she mourned over the bodies of her slain children and her burned garden. Yet they do not kill with abandon. Each death, others or even one's own, must carry a meaning, must be a sacrifice to or for something. Senseless killing is forbidden, and while they may sometimes kill for the simple reason that someone offends them, the Bahari will never miss an opportunity to use a death as an example with which to teach and educate their fellow Baham. Just like how Cain was a small, weak and scared being when Lilith first found him, so too are humanity and many kindred weak, cowardly and wary of pain. They must be familiarized with pain, they must be taught to grow resilient and strong, self-reliant and willful, or be made an example of, tortured so that each and every Baham may relish and learn from the exquisite suffering being done. While I stated earlier that the Bahari have no leaders, there are of course still local authorities, often two people, but one may suffice if the garden is small. Any may be inducted into the garden, although failed prospects will rarely survive, their blood instead used to water the garden. Mortals are often taught through lessons of pain and lectures on emancipation and self-actualization how to worship the Dark Mother, while supernaturals, such as mages, may instead be given a more appropriately occult education albeit of course not without the elements of pain and suffering involved. Kindred who wish to join will suffer long periods of deprogramming, unlearning what their sires and sects may have taught them before they can join the Bahari and become Lahaka, or Children of Lilith. Several gardens may at a time cooperate if needed, but they generally tend to keep to themselves otherwise, and thus there are as many versions of Lilith's teachings as there are covens of Bahari. Many gardens also style themselves after Lilith's three gardens, Elona, Garden of Hope, the Hainu, Garden of Renewal, and the Bahari, Garden of Suffering, with the Garden of Hope in Budapest being the oldest one still active, and something of a cultural center for the Bahari. There was a Garden of Suffering in Oslo for many years, but with the events of the Second World War, its members split up and have since then not reformed. One must understand that the Bahari are not good. Certainly, they often crave to punish the wicked, and they do portray themselves as avenging angels spurred on by the legendary suffering of their founder, yet the vast majority of this cult do not coddle or protect the weak. For them, it is enough to have a transgressor upon whom they may enact harsh vengeance, but once that is done, so too are the Bahari, moving on to their next project, caring little for what ruins are left behind in their wake. The perpetual cycle of vengeance and abuse concerns them little. Forgiveness was not in the nature of Lilith, nor will it ever be a doctrine of her followers. The Bahari recruit among those who have suffered greatly, who grieve loss or who are left empty. They may often put on a thin veneer of care, disguising themselves as counselors or a friendly shoulder to cry on, yet this of course is all a ruse to instill that initial sense of trust in their potential new additions to the gardens. 
The Bahari tend to favor gardening both symbolically and literally, and many covens display amazing feats of horticulture. They are strong believers in the powers of fertility and sexuality, and often implement such symbolism and acts in their rites and rituals. Lilith, unlike her successor Eve, was never one to shy away from her own sexuality, laying with whomever she pleased, and the Bahari seek to emulate that to some extent. Winter and spring are two important seasons for the Lilims, one symbolizing the grief and desolation of her third garden's burnt ashes, the other the time of blood and birth, when new life springs painfully from those birthing it. Ultimately, the Bahari seek to topple Cain and his descendants, destroying any and all that they have achieved in his name in vengeance over his betrayal of the Dark Mother. They have no sympathy or love for the god said to have created the world, the one who first banished Lilith from Eden, and thus many see no problems with pollution and destruction, although this of course differs between gardens, some instead fighting the advances of industry, as they can be made to represent humanities and thus indirectly Adam's and Eve's progress. Some Bahari have achieved such mastery of their environments that they may drain the blood and energy of all life around them, sustaining themselves indefinitely without having any need to hunt for themselves, like how Lilith had absolute mastery over the plants and trees of Eden. Because of their familiarity with sacrifice, diablerie, especially of one's own childer, is not an uncommon practice, as it is seen symbolically to show that the Bahari are willing to perform the ultimate sacrifice, and for themselves as well. Because a core tenet of the Bahari is that they, like Lilith, must truly love themselves the most. In a world filled with unforgiving, spiteful and jealous creatures, a Bahari may, and should, expose themselves to truly terrifying tests of pain and suffering. But they do so to further themselves, to bring enlightenment and clarity of mind and purpose. Each sting of pain is a testament to how the love they hold for themselves is so strong that they are willing to undergo any trial for their own betterment. The Church of Cain, unlike the Bahari, operate very much in secret, spreading primarily within the Camarilla, much to the dismay of its leadership as they fear its teachings will erode the cohesion of their members. In essence, the Church of Cain still believes that Cain represents a sort of messianic figure, elevated by God because of the murder of his brother and made to see the truth of existence, remade into a powerful being and made to bring this enlightenment to humanity, in some sense. Jesus, said to be the second coming of Cain, likewise is believed by the members of this cult to have been kindred as well, teaching of the importance of consuming the blood of others to elevate one's consciousness. But he was betrayed and his teachings corrupted by Pilatus, thus rendering the entire Christian church a willful distortion of the true message. Because of the power inherent in kindred vitae, both to create more of their kind, but also in how it preserves the bodies of mortals who drink of it, blood holds a very special place in the teachings of the Church of Cain. To feed someone of your vitae is the holiest of sacraments and there are many mortals who are thus converted to join the sect, becoming ghoul servants for them. Kindred bodies remain pure, perfect, returning to the state they were in at the time of their creation almost always regardless of what damage has been caused to them. They never age or suffer sickness, and many followers believe that they are like angels, raised above the mortal masses to guide them. The teachings and morals of the Christian church are not only to be denounced, but actively opposed, especially considering the sheddings of blood, and some rituals conducted by the church bring their mortal worshippers into a state of ecstatic frenzy, where all manners of perversions and sins are committed. 
it is said to bring out the worst, most depraved aspects of one's personality, and are thus a force of liberation from the church's dogmatic teachings of what is good and wholesome. It is unclear whether the Church of Cain perceived the antediluvians in a good light or not. Assuredly, they are closer to Cain in terms of age and generation, yet they betrayed Cain and his immediate childer, and caused the fall of the second great city, and if some stories are to be believed, the deluge that drowned the first city as well. Prince Jackson is one of the Camarilla who often goes out of his way to pursue those belonging to the Church of Cain, even going as far as posting bounties on any who belongs to this cult, offering territory in Chicago to a kindred who can present a still-living, so to speak, heretic. The Crimson Curia, as the church sometimes styles itself, is, unlike the heresy that preceded it, not run by a figurehead, but rather by a council of priests. The Crimson Curia believes, quite frankly, that Earth is Hell. They perceive all beings, and all existence, as layered. Mortals are far down, although of course not quite as far as the fallen angels, and kindreds rise above their former kind, approaching the enlightened states of Cain, and maybe even eventually, the Demiurge, creator of everything. While the Church of Cain remains more dogmatic in its teachings than the Bahari, their approach is far from the fire and brimstone sermons one would expect. Indeed, they often draw in new recruits with easy-to-understand metaphors and parables, tending to focus on how Cain and his get are raised above the mortals in terms of power and blessings, concepts easy enough to grasp even by the freshest fledgling. However, as they sink their hooks into these recruits, more will eventually be revealed to them. Because of their outward seemingly benign appearance, some kindred have come to believe that the Church of Cain may be in fact teaching a path to the mythical Golconda, something the Crimson Curia has neither confirmed nor denied, although they will often argue against the concept of a curse, seeing as they believe Cain was blessed for his actions. Since the La Sombra, the same clan who once wiped out the heresy, have now joined the Camarilla, many members of the church are wary around this clan and the sect, even as a not insignificant number of them are also of the Clan of Shadows. Thus, all in all, the Church of Cain keeps a low and gentle profile, hoping that this will help them amass enough strength to keep themselves safe should it be more openly known what they are preaching. The Church of Cain believes strongly in hierarchy and structure, unlike the Bahari. Unlike his predecessors, however, the hierarchy is not based on age, but rather merit, and while it adopts many of the trappings of the church, blending Catholic, Gnostic, and Eastern Orthodox teachings, it does this in order to further strengthen their proposed relationship to Jesus and his church as Cain returned. The Church of Cain usually teaches self-control and moderation to its kindred followers. They strongly urge any followers of their creed to keep their inner beast on a leash, to only feed from those beneath them in hell, and to help their faith in bringing about the third coming of Cain. Mortals are little more than cattle, sinners who deserve to be less than their superiors, and therefore the church is quick to point out that feeding from them is no different than a mortal feeding from livestock. It is what they exist for, with the odd exceptional individual who may be brought into their fold, of course. Thus the killing of mortals, while potentially tasteless, is considered no worse than the killing of a cow. Fire and sunlight is often employed as tools with which to temper one's soul and flesh, and many Gnostics, as followers of this faith are often called, test themselves and their faith by walking through fires, exposing a limb to direct sunlight, and so on. They have also come to embrace the thaumaturgical path of the flame as their signature power, so to speak, as they believe mastery over the very flames that wound them is crucial in order to surpass this weakness. 
The church does not forbid diablerie, instead in fact condoning it, as long as the one killed in this matter is a kindred unworthy of their blessings, ideally also a vocal enemy of the faith. The church preaches that all souls are born and reborn into an endless cycle, including vampires, and thus the only way to destroy an enemy of Cain is to devour their soul. This perception is, of course, one they rarely express outside of their own circles. The Church of Cain's fire and faith symbolically stands in a stark contrast to that of the Bahari, and indeed the two consider each other fundamentally opposed enemies. Although some Baham take perverse pleasures in destroying a Gnostic's faith so utterly that they happily embrace the teachings of the Dark Mother, who in their faith is portrayed as a fallen angel unworthy of worship. There is of course much more to learn about these cults and the many, many more forms of worship to be found amongst kindred and Cainite alike. The Red Star's passing triggered in the otherwise secular sects of the Camarilla and Anarchs a strong apprehension for the times to come, and with the beckoning having served to draw away many of the guiding voices of the Ivory Tower, those left with the reins have to resort to a baser measure to retain control over their masses. Thus, kindred faith have flourished in the last couple of years, begrudgingly tolerated by many leaders who accept the cost in return for the respite they offer their congregation. Yet some, like Kevin Jackson, fears that inviting this plethora of worldviews and perspectives, ideas that often stand in radical opposition to each other and to the ivory tower, is to court disaster. Their numbers are five, and they are dark gods. Snow, an insightful yet compassionate master. Bambi Parsons, whose passion inspires and leads by example. Dr. Sheepington, a sage and venerable keeper of ancient wisdom, the unemployed writer whose words have guided nations through the aeons, and Dugal, the ancient and terrifying who stalks the night. These are our masters, and to worship them is to attain salvation. Their childer the Methuselah sit like kings and queens above us, their wills ours to obey. They are her satanic majesty Danny, reborn through fire and ice, Maximilian S. Hardcastle, a master of our ancient jihad, Socrates Johnson, a scholar and mentor, the ambitious and loyal Lauren Eason, the influential yet enigmatic Procyon, and Alexander Kanehurst of the dreaded Vilebloods, are all to be respected and feared. On the council of the primogen are seated Edward Reed, Colin Gifford, 06, Stonewolf 18, Jokerman, Ian Nichols, The Black Friar, Ravenfang, Brad Hardwick, and Pilgrim, wise leaders and of good judgment. This week the council would wish to welcome the elder Brandon Hunter Hayden to our midst with open arms. We are ever in your depth for the loyalty you have shown. We would also wish to honor the Ancillae Idrin. Thank you once again for all of your support, my friend. Naturally, all our elders, Ancillae and Neonates, receive our gratitude from the bottoms of our heart. Without your support, this would not be possible. And thank you for watching. Now be careful out there, for Gehenna may soon be upon us.